0: You're listening, You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to the Life Tree Community Church podcast. Painted it on the video, and it was good. But since we got you all here in person, let's try this again. Ready? He is risen. He is risen indeed. There you go. So, for those of you who don't know, that's code for I've been in church a long time. And if you didn't say it, you know, then that's it. Then then you, you missed out. Um, No, we'll do it one more time for you. Here we go. Ready? He is risen. He is is risen indeed. Absolutely. There you go. So good to see everybody. Um, Excuse me. I got a mint in here. I'm trying to keep myself going. I was getting a cough a little bit and had to make sure I stopped there. Uh, It's good to be together, isn't it? It's good to be here. I'm wearing a tie. Come on. You know, this never happens. Never happens. Once a year. Once a year. Maybe maybe at Christmas. Maybe Christmas Eve. Yeah, for church, I rarely wear wear, wear this stuff. So I'm, I'm dressed up today, looking snazzy. So are you. Everybody's looking great. Good to be here. Uh, it's always a little different doing a service for Easter on a Saturday night. It's like, you know, just kind of feels like we should be doing this on a Sunday morning for so many years of doing it. But you know what? Uh, I, I love that song because it said, He is risen. Not was, not will be, is. Present tense because... It's something that continues on. So right now, he is our risen Savior. Um, it's a good story. Our world loves good stories. How many of you like good stories? Like good stories, right? Everybody loves a good story. And some of our most favorite stories, I know, but they're love stories, right? Like that. We, we, everybody loves a good love story. And today we gather to celebrate the greatest story of love in human history. If you took all of the Netflix romance library as of today, and you took every romance uh, movie, every romance book ever written, and you could catalog, if you could catalog all of the love stories, like some of everybody, you know, some of you in here have your own love story, and your grandparents' love stories, and other, if you could take all the love stories that have ever been written, ever been told, none are going to compare to this one. And you're like, all right. I mean, listen, there are some pretty incredible love stories out there, right? Like Princess Bride, I mean, like, the noblest love story of all, right? There's Beauty and the Beast, for some of you Disney fans. You know, there's the, that classic romance, Spider-Man. <laughs> Far from home, that one. There's I mean, so much romance in here. Um, but seriously, seriously, there's no love story like the one we're going to talk about tonight. No love story like it. None that cost as much, none that were as unlikely, none that promised such an ending. But actually, none of those are the reasons that this love story is so great. The reason that the love story of Jesus, his death and his resurrection, the reason it's so exceptional and the reason that this story is so profound is that it includes, you ready for this? It includes every person who's ever lived. It's the only love story that actually affects everybody. It's not like some family over here, but that's like unrelated here. This story is the most inclusive love story anyone has ever heard or dreamed of. And the best part is it's not a fairy tale. It's actually true. Um, And it's still being told. Uh, You and I are parts of this story, um, and uh, it's it's a great story. And before we get to our part in the story, we all know that every great story has to have a dog. Yes, all good stories have to have a dog. And it's important to note, my dad had had a rule about this, right? Any movie where the dog dies is not worth watching. Mm-hmm. Any movie where the dog dies is not worth watching. I think he had some really serious trauma from watching Old Yeller. At some point, uh, it was written by a sadist. I don't know whoever, I don't know. Anybody like Old Yeller? Like Look around, judge them, judge them. Really? Come on, like, oh, so terrible. Old Yeller was, oh, man, brutal, brutal. Uh, any dog people in the room, though? People like, like you, like, yeah, you got dogs. How I many of I mean, you have dogs? You have dogs. You mean, like, not a dog, but you have dogs. All right. We have two. We have two. We have an old dog, um, really an old dog. I don't know how he's still alive. We, really, we thought he was dying like several times through the years, he's, and he still keeps going. Um, and then we have a younger puppy that we brought home about three years ago. His name is Barkley. Um, and uh, Barkley, enough know, Saquon Barkley, Giants, Giants fans, Barkley. It's a good name for a dog, right? Barkley. That's a good dog name. Um, now... I have a picture of Barkley here, the first picture. This is Barclay's, uh, this is, isn't he a cute dog? Look at that. We don't know what he is. He's like a mutt. He's probably like part beagle. Um, he lives up to the name Barkley there. Um, but here's what you need to know about Barkley. That's him normally. Like when you come in, that's what Barkley looks like when you know, he's happy and happy to see you. He's got this happy face. But when we come home, there are days where when we open the door, this is what we see. We call it the shame face. He won't even make eye contact. It's like like he's squinting and embarrassed to look at you. He and you know, oh, he did something bad. He either got in the garbage or right, he did business in the house or he did something he wasn't supposed to do. He ate his brother's food, you know, there's just and, and I'm not making this up. You can ask our family. You walk in and that face, I mean, it's, it's, it's pathetic. It's like this, this deep, deep shame face. Um, and it's funny because I remember making faces like that as a child, you know, like when, I remember once my parents came home and I had been bad for the babysitter. I don't remember the circumstances. I don't remember the situation. All I remember is that I was not good. I was maybe five or six, and I just remember thinking, I'm in trouble. Like, I'm gonna be in trouble. And I probably made a face very similar to that I'm sure you've all made faces like that. I'm sure if somebody, if certain people walk through the door right now, some of you might make that kind of face. You're like, I've done wrong by them, and if they see me, <laughs> you know, you don't want to make eye contact, you avoid them, you're embarrassed, because we know we're in the wrong, right, and they've got the power to make us pay. And what those moments, when those moments when we have these Berkeley shame faces, right, what those moments when we experience that, what that reveals is actually nothing about us. That's not really so much about us. What those moments really reveal is the character of the offended party. Like, like the one who's been hurt. When I see my dog making that face with garbage hanging out of his mouth, right? Like how am I going to respond? Like it says a lot more about me than it does about my dog, right? Like how do I react in those moments when someone does something to offend you or to Uh, hurt you or do anything like that, how you respond actually says a whole lot more than how they're responding. Like, when you're the offended party, what do you do? And that same truth goes for God, right? How he responds when people offend him, when people hurt him, that tells us so much. What makes the story of Jesus' death and resurrection so extraordinary is the way that he shows love to everyone and I mean everyone. Like, we can come to him with that shame face, but the way Jesus responds is profound. We couldn't have a much better window into the character of God than Jesus on the cross. Like it's him at his most vulnerable, at his most probably sincere, and not that Jesus is ever putting on a, a face, but it shows so clearly the nature and character of God, what Jesus does in those moments. And it shows us why the love of Jesus is the most inclusive love, on the planet. And I invite you to consider how many different types of people, first, how many different types of people hurt Jesus? Like, let's list the categories, okay? All the different categories of people that offend Jesus during this, this story that we know is like the resurrection story, right? The, the death and resurrection story. In the week leading up to Jesus' death, we talked about it last week, he, this triumphal entry, he comes into Jerusalem, he's coming into the city, the crowds are cheering for him, right? They are cheering, they're, they're saying, Hosanna, which means, you know, Lord, save us. They're, they're, I mean, they're, they're having this great time. They're filling the streets. And once they realize that Jesus didn't come to overthrow the Roman government, they turn on him. And those same crowds are now shouting for his execution. Like literally, like days, it changes. Cancel culture isn't new, right? It could be, they could be your best friend one day, a few days later, you're anathema, right? You are awful. They choose to kill Jesus and free a violent criminal known as Barabbas, okay? Their hostility is so intense that the Roman governor at that time, his name is Pontius Pilate, he couldn't understand. He goes, why do you want to crucify this guy? He didn't do anything. And their answer is screaming louder, crucify him, crucify him. That's it. So the crowds, the crowds are just heaping on abuse of Jesus, but they're not the only ones, right? Because then you got in the second category, which are the Roman soldiers, I'm sorry, the religious elite, the religious elite. They're, they're the head of the crowd here. They're leading the charge, right? So you've got these, uh, these remember God a long time ago made a promise to Abraham? Said, hey, you leave. These, you, you go where I send you. I'm going to make you into a nation. I'm going to bless the world through you. He makes this big promise. Well, you got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, right, all the way down. Then you end up with Moses, and it turns into this, this man turns into a nation, the nation of Israel. Well, now you've got these leaders of this nation, and as in any society, right, people rise to the top. It was just a family, but now it's a society. And you've got these powerful people, and they're the religious leaders. They're the most powerful people in that area. And they're using their position of power for their own good, to influence. They're, 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 just, they're, they're not actually about relationship with God at all. They're being abusive to the people. They're, they're being very um, judgmental. And Jesus is not having it, and he's, he condemns them, and they don't like it. And so they start turning the crowds to, to, you know, to come against Jesus. They're, they're, they said he's Jesus is lying. They're accusing him of blasphemy. They're saying Jesus is, you know, all these terrible things about him. And they frame it as they're trying to protect the truth, but they were just trying to protect themselves. They were self-serving, more concerned with maintaining their power and privilege than they were with the truth. But they weren't the only ones Right? So you've got the crowds, you've got these elite, and then, I, I gave it away, they get to the soldiers. Right? So you've got, you've got crowds of people, just the masses, then you've got the religious elite, and then you've got the soldiers. It says right, these soldiers, Jesus was not a threat to any of them. This is just a guy. He's not fighting back. He doesn't have weapons in his hands. He's not zapping anybody with like, electric out of his you know, fingertips. He's not doing anything like that. He's standing there, and so they choose to beat him. They delight in beating him. It says they're mocking him. They're gambling for who gets to keep his clothes when he's dead. These are physically strong, imposing figures. They're trained to fight, taking joy in beating a vulnerable man who won't fight back. We're told they spit on him, they smack him. I'm confident that the text fails to really detail the full extent of their physical abuse of Jesus. And you know what they say? Just following orders. Just doing what we're told. It's not us, we were told to do this, right? Many throughout history have used that excuse to justify some awful behavior. And there are still now others that reject Jesus, though this next group hurts in a different way. So you've got crowds, you've got the elite, you've got the soldiers, and now you get ready the followers of Jesus, the people that know him. Right? Who's the one that betrays Jesus? A guy named Judas. One of the followers of Jesus. He's been with Jesus for three years, listening, seeing, hearing all these miracles, all these incredible things that Jesus is doing. And he's the one that sells Jesus out. He, and, and, he, and he does it with a kiss. Oh, man. He, that's how it, that was the secret sign. You know, we got all sorts of you know, secret hand signals. Well, Judas just walks up and he kisses Jesus and says, that's the one that you know to arrest. He kisses, kisses him around the cheek. And then it says, Peter, following Jesus, With him, like the rock that he's going to build the church on. You know what Peter does? He denies that he even knows Jesus three times. I don't even know that guy to the point where he's cursing other people for suggesting that he was one of Jesus' followers. When Jesus was arrested, the disciples scatter. They run away. When he's on the cross, there's only a handful of people there actually to support Jesus. Anyway, it says it's his mother, John, a few women, Most of those followers, those crowds of people, they're gone. The rejection of the religious elite was disappointing, but it wasn't surprising. It was probably inevitable. The physical pain from the soldiers, like that was hard to endure, but I have to imagine that was nothing compared to the emotional pain of being rejected by those closest to you. The pain of being denied by those who should have stood by you. Anybody ever felt that? You should have. It's one thing for my enemies to do that. It's something else for, you know, those who are just following order. But you should have been there for me. And those are the ones who reject Jesus. But yet there's still more. Right? We keep going. Because as Jesus is on the cross, what do we find? That he's hung beside two criminals one on his right and one on his left, right? The accounts of that day tell us that they too joined in the mocking, joined in this. Now, eventually we're told one of them changes their tune, but the point remains. They couldn't resist one last chance to inflict harm on somebody else. Can you imagine facing your own death and the only thing that comes out of your mouth is I should make fun of somebody else? Like that... Really? That's what you have? That you want to mock and hate someone else? But remember, this this now isn't about the people who reject Jesus. It's not about the dog making that kind of face. It's about the way Jesus responds to him. Because as he's hanging on the cross, enduring all the hostility, arguably Jesus was the target of more hostility than any human in, in, in history. And Luke tells us this, When they come to the place of the skull, they nailed him to the cross, And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus says this. He says, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. You know what he didn't say? Father, punish them and give them what they deserve. He doesn't say, Father, prove me right. Vindicate me. He doesn't say, Father, ease my suffering. Rescue me. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He asked God to forgive the very people that had caused him so much pain. He's asking that for the religious elite, for those in power, right, who are desperate to keeping, to keeping it. He's praying for them. He's, he's asking it for the Roman soldiers who took pleasure in beating him. He was there when they were doing this, experiencing it, and he's praying for them. He's asking it for the crowds, for the cities full of people who he heard cheer and then jeer. He's praying for them. He's asking that for his disciples, for those who should have known better, who have walked with Jesus and seen experienced all this stuff. They knew all this stuff, and yet they're still, they're gone. Father, forgive them. He's asking it for the criminals who are right next to him, for those who deserve to be punished, for those who have blown it for those who have lost track of of how much harm they've done in life because that's just their normal. They don't know anything else. It's all they know. If you'll indulge me, here's I want to add one more to the list. I think he's asking that for us, for you and for me. See, Jesus wasn't just talking about the people in front of him when he's hanging there. He was talking about everyone, everywhere, for all time. Father, forgive them all. Forgive them all. See, The love of Jesus was not limited to the good people, right? It wasn't limited to the good people. He wouldn't say, Father, forgive the people that deserve it. Hey, Father, forgive the people that are, you know, let me qualify this, right? Forgive them if they'll repent. Forgive them if they'll be good in their life. Forgive them if it'll matter, if it'll make it worth it, if they actually understand. No, he just said, Father, forgive them, period. His love was on display for all people. When confronted with rejection and violence and opposition, Jesus chooses to love. Because his capacity to love is greater than our capacity to offend. Because his capacity to do right for us is greater than our capacity to do wrong by him. And his capacity to forgive is greater than our capacity to sin. The reason this matters so much, why does this matter? Why are we talking about this? It's Easter. Why are we talking about this? Because we all need forgiveness. We constantly do things that damage our relationship with God. There are things that come between us that cause space. Listen, we need God in our life. We need to be connected to God. It's the source of our life. It's the source of our joy, our hope, our peace. You can't love somebody until you know you're loved. You can try, but you won't do it well. You cannot have peace if you don't know what the source of that peace is. You're not going to find peace just out there somewhere. You can't have hope unless you know that somebody's made you promises and that that promise is trustworthy. We need to be in relationship with God. It's the foundation of our life. And every day we do things that violate that relationship. Every single day. Every time we think something that isn't pure or right, Right about whether it's about ourselves or someone else, it offends God. Every time, listen, I, I, how many of you, that just canceled you out, right? Every time, every time we think something, it's like, oh, it's a good thing. Isn't it a good thing that nobody has a window into our mind? Like, I'm so glad that I can't see what you're thinking right now. <laughs> my, my, my ego could not handle it. Some of you are like, man, is still talking? Like, are we done yet? Right. Every time we have an attitude that is selfish, or hurtful, or impatient, or an overreaction, guess what? It separates, it offends God. It separates us from him. So every, every time we think something wrong, every time we, we have an attitude that's wrong, every time we say something untrue or unkind or dishonoring, I know none of you say anything hurtful to anybody ever. You're always so guarded with what comes out of your mouth. But on the off chance that maybe you say something out of anger, out of frustration, out of discouragement, and maybe you just say something that you didn't mean. Every time we do that space between us and God, because he's perfect, pure, can't handle anything, any, there's no room for error. It's got to be absolutely perfect. But every time we say something, it separates us from God. Every time we do something we know is wrong, it separates us from God. Every time we avoid doing something we know is right, it separates us. God. There are so many opportunities for us to mess up in our relationship with God. Isn't that good? Aren't you so encouraged? This is so great. So encouraging. There are so many opportunities for us to absolutely screw up our relationship with God. This is awesome. So good. The result is this all the time. We're not right with God. We're people who are constantly at odds with God. But this is really where it comes down. There's this really hard to believe dynamic in play. It's really, it's mind-boggling. We need forgiveness, and we're powerless to manufacture it. It can only be offered by the one who's offended. So I need it, but I can't can't make it happen. But then on the other side, Jesus offers it, but won't force us to accept it. He chooses to assume a powerless role. He says, I offer the opportunity to accept or reject it to you. I extend forgiveness to you, but I will not mandate that you receive it. So in this profound act of love for the world, Jesus gave his life to pay our debt and gives us the power to either accept or reject his sacrifice for us. You don't have to accept forgiveness, even though we all need it. Isn't that a crazy dynamic? We need forgiveness, it's offered to us, and we don't have to take it, and many people don't. Think about that. Many people need forgiveness, it would make them right with God, it's offered to them, and they go, no thank you. Why would anyone on earth not accept forgiveness? It's the same reason that people back then didn't. Jesus says, very simply, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus is not calling people dumb. He's not questioning their intelligence. He's revealing that they're unable to see the truth. And he has compassion for them rather than anger at them. He asked forgiveness for them, perhaps that in time, maybe someday those soldiers are going to come around. Maybe someday those crowds are going to go, you know, I think Jesus was for real. Maybe, maybe someday those religious elite are going to go, this self-serving living, you know what, this isn't the way. Jesus was right. Maybe those followers are going to come back around. Maybe those criminals, and we know one of them did. See, that's the whole point. Jesus died to give us the opportunity. He does not force us. He says they don't know what they're doing. Anybody who rejects, The forgiveness that God offers, very simply, not dumb, not judgmental, not we're smarter than anybody else. Very simply, they don't understand what they're doing. And that may be you. It may be someone you know. As you're listening tonight, maybe you identify with one of those groups. Maybe you see yourself as, you wouldn't say this to other people, but you see yourself as the elite. You have power, and you know you use it for your own purposes. Or maybe you're like the soldiers. You're good at saying, hey, I'm just following orders. You pass blame onto other people. It's not my fault. It's just what's been done to me. It's ne- you just, yeah, you just, not me. I just did what I was taught to do. I just did what I, what I knew to do. It was never my fault. Or maybe you're the crowd. You're just doing what everybody else is doing. You're just going because, hey, everybody around me doesn't seem to need Jesus, so I don't seem to need him. Or maybe you're like the disciples and you know better. You know what's right and what's wrong and some days you just can't seem to do what you know is right. Or maybe you're like the criminals hanging next to Jesus and you feel you deserve every ounce of pain that you got. Now, you don't deserve forgiveness. Now, you don't even want to ask because, man, I know me and I know I, I deserve to be hanging here. The Apostle Paul was probably a guy who identified a little bit with each of those. He was elite for a season. He was... Part of a crowd. He did some damage to people. He was like a soldier. He was a follower who wrestled with not doing what he knew better. He's definitely one who was affected by guilt. He had kind of every one of those. He checked off all the boxes. And he says this, everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And here are my two favorite words. Ready? Yet God. God. If Pastor Dre were here, he'd say, everybody repeat it. Yet God. I'm telling you, those are two of the most powerful words on the planet. Yet God. We all sin, we all fall short. Yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. It's even better because it rhymes. What He's telling us is this this is relevant for everybody. This is a story for the entire world. So many categories of people, they're all in there. You can't find a person that doesn't fit in this story. Nobody's untouched by it. Whether you're hearing this for the first time or for the millionth time, we all fall short. It's not like, hey, I've been been, following. Listen, my parents were pastors. I've been in a pastor's home for most of my life. I have been around church, right? I've spent almost my entire life knowing about this stuff, and guess what? I still screw up all the time. I have bad attitudes. I have bad days. I need forgiveness today. Today. Like just because I'm standing here talking doesn't mean I'm, all of us, no matter where we fall in the spectrum, nobody is untouched by this. There is never a day we don't need grace. And in his goodness, God keeps giving it. He makes us right in his sight. Though we mess up, When God looks at you, he sees right. When God looks at you, he sees right. He doesn't see religious elite. He doesn't see soldiers. He doesn't see crowds. He doesn't see criminals. He doesn't see people who knew better. When God looks at you, you know what he sees? He sees Jesus. And that makes everything all right. God doesn't see our arrogance. Our pride, our violence, our foolishness, our wandering, our failures. He doesn't see our doubts. You know what God looks at when He sees you? He sees right. Because of Jesus. It's so important to understand because when we mess up, you know what we can feel like? We can feel like (laughs) Barclay. There are days where we know we blew it and we go. Like, seriously, He even walks slowly. Like he he knows what he did. And there are days we adopt that posture with God. God, I blew it. And so I'm gonna hide from you. God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and avoid you. I'm gonna try, I, I know, I just I'm gonna get out of your way, God, because I messed up. God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna run away, God, because I don't it's it's just too painful. It's it's disappointing. I'm angry at myself, I'm frustrated, I don't deserve this, God, and we run away. Shame pushes us away. But let me just tell you, no matter how good you are at hide and seek, <laughs> you can't hide from God. None of us can. The writer of Hebrews tells us really clearly, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Not a single thing. Listen, everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. He sees it all. You messed up? Yeah, he knows. He knows it all. He knows everything you're doing. What nobody else knows, he knows. He knows it better than you know it. God has seen it all, and you know what? He loves you anyway. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. When Jesus asked for forgiveness, he knew what the people had done. And he was extending love anyway. So what? So what? Hebrews 4.16, just a few verses later. So, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Because there, we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. We need forgiveness. Let me just tell you. Every day, you are going to be faced with an opportunity. Every time you screw up, it's an opportunity. You can either run from God or you can run to him. You can either be like the dog and go hide behind the door or you can come to his feet and call and say, God, I'm going to boldly come in here. I know I messed up and I know you promised that if I come to you, if I acknowledge it, grace, mercy, forgiveness. We've talked this year about practical applications for us and we, we've developed this simple little application piece called the kiss of hope, right? K- the kiss of hope. What are you going to keep doing? What do you need to improve? What do you need to stop doing? And what do you need to start doing? And so we're going to go through four action steps that perhaps you can take in this week to follow up on this. First, what do you need to keep doing? Let me just tell you, keep trying. The goal has never been Perfection. If you're in here and you are saying, I'm trying and it's, I'm just, I feel like I keep messing up, let me just tell you don't quit. Just keep trying. When you fail, get back up. Don't buy the story that everyone else is doing it right and you're the only one screwing up. Don't buy the story that everybody else has got this figured out and you're broken. We're all broken. We're all broken. Keep going. Keep coming back to God. Second, what can you do? Improve. What can you improve? Hey, you know what you can improve? You can improve. We can continue to admit it, that we need forgiveness. It's called humility. We can improve a posture of humility. It can be hard to admit. It can be very hard to admit that we need forgiveness. It attacks our pride, our ego, our insecurity, but we all need it, and those who Deny it, they're lying to themselves. Let's live in reality. Let's just tell me, how can you, what can we do better at? Let's just keep admitting, hey, guess what? We all need it. Everybody, we all need it. What do you need to stop doing? Stop letting your failures push you away from God. Stop letting your failures isolate you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to run away. I'm going to hide. I'm going to shut down. I'm not going to talk about this. It's a trick of the enemy, right? Divide and conquer. If I can isolate you from the herd, you just watch Nature Channel. You know what happens. Stop letting your failures push you away. It's counterintuitive, I know, but when you mess up, when we mess up, run to God. We sit there and go, when I mess up, I should be most afraid of God. No, that's the moment you run to him, you need him most. Stop avoiding the only one who can make you right. Stop doing that. And then finally, what do you need to start doing? Start turning to God the moment you know you messed up. Start turning to him. Forgiveness is a game changer. Do it now, I'm telling you. It's one of those things when you're like, you know, this restaurant, like the town diner up in East Windsor. I always pass the town diner because we were always going to Americana. Americana's, a, you know, and then americanas it's not a diner anymore. You know, it's something else. And it's okay, it's good, but it's something else. And so, but I, and about a month and a half ago, we stopped at the town diner. That's a good diner. It's a really good diner. I've been, I'm sitting there going, how come I never knew this? How come nobody ever told me? This is a great diner. Maybe the reason we don't run to God is because we've never tried it. I know I made an noun. God's forgiveness is a diner. <laughs> it works in my head, so it's not in the notes. It's just that, that one, you just get that one for free. But let me just tell you, forgiveness is a game changer. Do it now. Run to him. Start doing it. Start doing it. I'm telling you, this week will be completely different if every time you do something and you have that feeling of shame face, you run to God, things are going to change. Things are going to change because you will experience God's grace and who he is, his character, his nature. You will be coming to the very feet of the God who on the cross goes, Father, forgive him. Love. Greatest love story in history because it affects everybody. Don't wait. Do it now. I'm going to invite the band back up. We're going to close with a song, and I want you to pray with me just for a moment. Would you close your eyes? I want to pray for you in just a moment, and then I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, your love for us, it knows no limits. God, as you hung on the cross, giving your life for ours, paying for our debts, hearing the mocking voices, and feeling unimaginable pain, you chose to love, to forgive, to display grace. It's the greatest gift we have ever and will ever be given. God, we need to be forgiven, perhaps more than we recognize. Lord, I pray for everyone who is listening, whether they're in this room or online. Lord, would you forgive us for our pride, for failing to admit that we need it. We need your forgiveness. Forgive us for avoiding you, for those times when we have run in shame and just just tried to get away from you because we're afraid. Lord, forgive us for misjudging you, for expecting punishment, But we need to be right with you today. It's the the most important relationship in our life. Our our roles as, as husbands, as wives, mothers, fathers, sons, daughters, brothers, sisters, as employees, business owners, students, no matter what our role is in life, every single relationship is a result. It's impacted by that one relationship at the top, which is our relationship with you. If that is not in right standing, all the others suffer. But Lord, when we have that relationship with you right, everything else is in its proper order. It doesn't mean it's all perfect, but we have what we need and we are the people we are meant to be to handle the challenges of each day. We need to be in right relationship with you. And so today, may we make this a defining moment, this Easter 2022, and may we accept today with gratitude the forgiveness you so freely offer. It's free to us. It was not free to you. It cost you your life. But you give what makes us right. May we come to you every single day for that. And one day, one way we can simply do that this day, Lord, is to come boldly to you in prayer every day come on our knees and acknowledge that we need you. At this time, I'd just like to invite you to pray the prayer that our Lord taught us to pray. I think it's a fitting way for us to honor and recognize what God has done for us. The words will be up on the screen in case you don't know them. But would you pray the Lord's Prayer with me? And then we'll sing as we close. Here we go, ready? Our Father, who art in heaven, I want to encourage you to pray that prayer every day this week. Every day this week as an acknowledgement, God, forgive me. I trust in you, and I'm coming to you. So I'm going to ask the band to close us out as we sing, and would you just stand with us as we sing in closing today?